if money is a situation is an issue, be smart. Liverpool have been smart. Liverpool, Liverpool have got Thiago in. Liverpool have got a Jotter in. With United, you can't get around this uh, feeling that it's just it's it's a it's a club with with utter incompetence at, at most levels and and just this circular sort of pattern that happens again and again. I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation of Morocco. People's lives are at risk. Ole Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take that as a yes then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, have a bad shave. Hello, comrades, and you're very welcome to the Football Spin. It's a Football Spin on a Monday morning after the first full weekend, we'll say, full weekend of fixtures. Teams that you forgot were even in the Premier League, like Burnley. They had a game this weekend. Although Man City still haven't played, and but they're still in the Premier League, um, and they will eventually get to be seen. They'll get their outing um, uh, later on today. Because it is Monday, Nordine Chowdhury is here, Ruben Pinder is here, and Dion Fanning is here. Um, we're going to cover lots of topics, but let's start first of all with probably the game of the weekend. It's fair to say, Liverpool doing a number at Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, and inevitably because of all the the niggle and the needle that was there from uh, I won't say last season, but it was only sixty days ago, um, when obviously Frank Lampard accused uh, Jurgen Klopp of giving it the big one. Uh, you're, you're watching every every single gesture on the sideline and everything afterwards. And Dion, I did watch post-match interviews with a very angry is not the right word, terse to the point, um, no messing around. Frank Lampard just get the interview done. Um, sort of uh, question the Christensen red card, which I thought almost impossible to say it was anything other than a red card. Um, what what were your reflections on? Um, a kind of a very interesting afternoon at Sanford Bridge and a, a very tough afternoon, it must be, for poor Frank Lampard. Yeah, um, well, conveniently for Frank Lampard, most of the players who uh, were at fault, um, who, who were the kind of outstanding, you know, the people who were the biggest, uh, uh, tra- who transgressed the most on the field and made the biggest mistakes are players he wants to move on or get rid of or has replacements lined up for. So that has worked out quite well for him. But uh, I think there was a number of things to get into even before you get into um, uh, what Lampard said afterwards. And I think it is going to be interesting to see his his evolution as a manager uh, in that regard. But I think Chelsea um, were, were desperate. Like, I think, you know, it, it's kind of convenient that Christensen and Kepa made the mistakes. But... Um, in the first half, they played so uh, cautiously. Um, like this is like we, you know, I, like Roman Abramovich is meant to have kind of his uh, his his love of Chelsea is meant to have been reignited this year because of um, you know the young players coming through and uh, he's he's spent a lot of money backing that kind of rejuvenated love and he's they've signed exciting players and they, there's talk of. This thing that Abramovich has always craved, but so has been elusive so often for Chelsea, where you have a team with an identity and they're uh, vibrant, and they, he captures like that thing that 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 football, the football match that captured you know Abramovich's imagination 
um, which inspired him to buy Chelsea, the, the Manchester United Real Madrid match in 2003. Uh, and so often Chelsea have failed, it said, to, to kind of deliver that for Abramovich. But now with this young team that Lambert had brought through last year, obviously um, in part uh, in, uh, a necessity because of the transfer ban, but there was a sense that Abramovich was believing again that he could actually have this team with a Chelsea identity. Um, and then, and then you, you watch that. You watch what, what, how Chelsea played, uh, how cautious they were. Um, and you think, OK, where, where is that gone? Where is that, um, uh, where is that identity right now? Um, and you know they've made the signings, and still they you know it, it's hard to see. There's there's a bit of work to do on how they're going to fit in. Um, but it was a kind of just a reminder for Chelsea, I think, of how far away. Like people went into the game talking about this could be, uh, you know, a real statement from Chelsea, and uh, that if if they were to beat Liverpool, um, I think maybe inspired a bit by Liverpool's defensive performance last week, but. It was, it was even in the first half, even before, uh, even before the sending off. I think there was enough. There were enough signs that Liverpool were going to going to punish them, um, and you know, a game like they hadn't they hadn't scored, but I think they, they probably would have. But then, obviously, the sending off, and then the injury to Jordan Henderson, which allowed Thiago to come on, and uh, you know, everyone has seen the stats about. Thiago, um, you know, making more passes in 45 minutes than Chelsea, any Chelsea player did in 90. And I think, you know, Jamie Carragher made the point after the game yesterday that you wouldn't get, like, this was a game set up for for Thiago, uh, down, Chelsea down to 10 men, um, and he could just sit there and, and pass the ball and, do, you know, just move it around and move Chelsea out of position. But at the same time, it underlined how far away uh, Chelsea are from actually competing. There are other structural flaws that um, that remain, and that will be a test for Lampard. And then there's also how he deals with with with, with things, which uh, you know we saw in his post match interview. Because on Dion's point there about Chelsea and uh, you know the the work that Frank Lampard has done last season, but then obviously supplemented by the players that he's brought in. Watching Havertz in two games now. Like it is so early on for all these players, but he's very poor, very poor in this game, taken off at half time, Werner, some some good touches, but like they've spent a lot of money, but uh they have it's going to take time for that team to gel. And you do wonder with Chelsea, Frank Lampard has gotten more time and more patience than any Chelsea manager in recent times. But how likely that patience is going how long that patience is going to last, Ruben, if they don't start putting together some good performances. And uh, this is uh, this is the kind of game that, as as, as Dion alluded to, that Roman Abramovich wants to see, if not a victory, a very strong performance. And this was a very weak performance. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how long they or how patient they are with Lampard. Should this continue? Because I thought the scoreline against Brighton flattered Chelsea. Mm. Um, I don't think they were very good. Uh, there was a good piece by Michael Cox on there approach to that game which basically pointed out that they were just hoofing the ball long to Loftus-Cheek and Timo Werner deserved better than that um, 
and against Liverpool, they weren't hoofing it long, but it would have made more sense to play a more direct game over the top of Liverpool's press against Liverpool rather than against Brighton. So, you know, I don't rate Lampard as any great tactician yet. Um, He's still got the excuse of Chilwell and Thiago Silva and Pulisic and Ziyech all being injured. But that said, he still had three very good attackers on against Liverpool and they didn't really threaten at all. Fabinho had Werner in his pocket the whole game. Um, Havertz and Werner will, they will get better because they are good. But um, it does rely on Lampard to make that happen. Um, and yeah, I've, I've not seen Lampard really do anything from a tactical point of view that that's particularly impressed me. Uh, I know Chelsea fans all love him because he's super frank and he's going to get a lot more time than than say Sarri did um, and it's the same at other clubs as well like with Solskjaer um, but yeah I mean Chelsea are just a bit they they've got problems in their squad obviously and they have spent a lot of money so now the pressure's really on like they don't they still don't look very good and if they if they keep playing like that um, then they could be in a, in a bit of trouble and like if they don't qualify for the Champions League this year then then that's that's a failure on their part, given the amount of money that they've spent. But um, as you say, it's, it's early doors, and Havertz and Werner will they will get better. But um, but that 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 does depend on Lampard changing some things to get the best out of them. I think. Yeah, because there's this um, staying with Lampard for a second. We'll we'll, we'll get to um, Liverpool in a moment, but there's a piece by Barney Rone from the weekend in the Guardian where he talks about the the blue privilege. Yeah. Versus self-made clock. Yeah, a really good piece. And, and that piece includes, you know, obviously Lampard's background with his father and his uncle, the, the footballing family that he would have come from and the, and, the, and the opportunities that affords, including a really interesting part of it where he describes how essentially Frank Lampard rang up Ipswich, told him to give Frank a job, then rang up, did, there, wasn't a, there wasn't a job there. Frank turned down the job, then rang up Derby and did the same thing. Um, no evidence that he'd rang up... Um, Roman Abramovich to tell him to give him a job, but obviously his legacy with Chelsea was clear. Um, and the fact that he, yeah, the the fact that he, I think, kept Derby in exactly the same league spot as before they before he was there, failed to get promoted and got uh, rewarded with the Chelsea job. I mean, like he, Lampard can claim all he wants that he's worked really hard to get to where he is, but there's no doubt that he's had a a boost up the ladder from a lovely bit of nepotism. Yeah, but there's a lot of isn't there a lot of people that are waiting for Frank Lampard to fall in his face here? Isn't yeah, me, me being one of them. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, like, no, and I then... mean like, I mean, <laughs> if he does well, he does well, and and I'll acknowledge that. But there is, I don't. There's a slight uh, partisan bias in me that kind of uh, would enjoy him being slightly exposed this season. I don't want him to have. I don't want him to fail as a manager, but I want his. You know, like if if his shortcomings are highlighted this year, it might uh, show everybody um, why the hype is a little bit over the top. Um, any reasons to be cheerful, Nas, from a Chelsea point of view or from Frank Lampard's point of view, having watched that game? What did you think? Um, I mean, the, the reason to be cheerful have, have already been sort of alluded to in the, in the fact that it is uh all these players that they've signed in the summer like uh, a lot of them haven't played yet so uh they could ad- they could address a lot of the a lot of the shortcomings um and also th- th- there is the whole the, there is the whole thing that uh i think Klopp mentioned uh before the season started is that is that 
even once these players come in, they do need to bed in. They do need to get used to the league and do, do need to sort of like uh, get used to working with each other. Um, I, I feel a bit, um, I think it's a bit unfair on uh, Kai Havertz, the, some of the criticism he's getting in particular, uh, just because he's not, he, anyone who saw him in, in the German league uh, can tell that he's just a Rolls Royce player. Um, wonderful technique. He's got this elegance about him. That's a, that's almost a Burkamp esque and he's not really um someone that I'd immediately expect to have like a really dynamic impact i think uh, i think once he sort of gets used to the league and uh, gets used to players around him he's he's going to be he's going to be superb um but they've got other players to come in and also like as as much as as much as lampard is uh, could be described as unlikable and uh bristles at any criticism and uh this whole idea of uh of having privileged the the way he reacted to um, the idea that um, he might have had better opportunities than a than a black manager um, that that was quite telling. Um, regardless of that, um, what he says about the red card sort of it did it did change the game. Like it's 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 hard enough to play Liverpool when you when you when you've got eleven men, and as soon as you lose somebody, it's. Uh, it's clearly going to be tougher. So, so yeah. So, uh, I think um, as much as Lampard can be Lampard, and there's a, there seems to be an ingrained sort of uh, arrogance about him, and uh, he doesn't he doesn't come across very well at times. Especially, he seems like quite a sore loser. But I mean, there are there are mitigating circumstances in this, this particular game. I don't think as as much as Chelsea want to sort of uh, lay down some kind of marker as to where they are in the season uh, in, in terms of a a champions um, a championship sort of like contender. I don't think you, we can read too much into the weekend's game just because um, the red card and uh, the, the the signings com- coming in sort of uh, weren't there. I mean, he, he, like like a lot of people are talking about um, the about Thiago Silva. I think uh, Ziyech would would make a massive difference with his energy and uh, just his uh, what he brings in terms of the uh, work rate within the team as, as well as his atta- attacking prowess and and Chilwell as well. So so, so I don't think we can judge. Yeah, a lot of those dog shit. Along, along those terrible chill. Yeah, yeah. That on on that red card. Um, interesting point you made, Nods. The it, I, that red card was like a culmination of like four different things, wasn't it? It was a great pass. It was a great run. It was bad defending, but also like, the, why does Christensen feel the need to take Mane out like a like a with like a an illegal rugby tackle? Yeah, probably because he doesn't trust his keeper. So, yeah, see, the game changed because of the sending off, but that's only if you think that Mane wouldn't have scored anyway if he hadn't been tackled. Uh, I would argue that the two Chelsea players involved um, means that it would probably have led to a Liverpool goal, even if yeah. Mane wasn't there. If it was just <laughs> Christensen and Kepa coming out for a, for a Henderson ball with no Liverpool player involved, it probably still have been a Liverpool goal. Um, but there is one reason to be cheerful for Chelsea, and that's that they're getting a new keeper. So... Um, Edward Mendy. Yeah, no more Kepa. Um, I think the Lampard stuff is interesting because I do think uh, I think he's got more. He's, he'll get more time. He's got more time than Sari. Uh, but it, um, but if this season doesn't go well, I don't know if he'll get any more time because of his his Chelsea um, tradition than than say you know uh, 
other other Chelsea managers because it's going to be quite revealing about who he is and that sensitivity to criticism. Like I, I when he was speaking after the game and he's talking about the penalty, I did he did start to remind me a bit of of um, of Mark Hughes, you know, as a manager. That's got a real like that one eyed sensitivity um, where every situation that your team was involved in you've kind of been hard done by in some way. Um, and it's going to be interesting too to see how, and I think there's an element of that too involved in how he um, integrates the players that, that have come in because he has got the players that he likes like Mason Mount and they're, they, they are going to owe Frank Lampard a lot. And like what, what you detect from Frank Lampard's public utterances, as Nas says, his reaction to various ideas about, you know, getting more opportunities than, black managers or whatever, is that he, he, is, he is very sensitive to how he is perceived himself. So a player who feels that they owes Frank Lampard a lot may find that they're, uh, that they're encouraged more by Frank Lampard than uh, Havertz or somebody who is you know, a, a European superstar, you know, the, tipped as one of you know, the, next, you know, the, the next generation, one of the top players of the next generation, and wants to be advancing and learning and, and working with a club that are going to give him those opportunities. Um, so it will be interesting to see how Lampard deals with that because there seems to be a, an ego there, which is fine, but a sensitivity to that ego or, or as part of that ego, which is kind of difficult to, um, uh, to accommodate in, if you're going to be a manager every week and if you're going to be dealing with, with, the pains you have to deal with, uh, or else you have to find a different way of projecting that sensitivity. I think uh, I think the Hughes comparison is is a really good one um, because of the reasons you stated. It's it's a it's almost a um, there's nothing wrong with confidence, and obviously that's that's a vital part of being a manager. But um, there's this idea that he is so much better than everyone else realizes. Um, the other comparison I'd make. Just in terms of circumstances, is is um, maybe Southgate. Um, obviously, not in terms of personality, but just this idea of like it's uh, it's in a lot of ways you can't fail if you're doing the best with uh, what you've got and, and and limited options and and limited resources, and that's what that's what Lampard's had so far. But now, in in, in the same way that Southgate has suddenly found himself with loads of options and. Uh, People he has to leave out who 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 could do a very good job, and, and therefore he'll get criticism for that. I think the same thing is the same thing could now happen with with Lampard in that uh, these new signings are great, but it just puts massive pressure on him. And then the question becomes: Well, why didn't you play play that player? Why did you leave that player out? Why why do you think these two or three players can work together? So uh, if uh, if Lampard doesn't like criticism now. Um, he better get used to it because it's because it, it's going to be. I think I think the media and public are going to be a bit more demanding from now on. Well, let's talk about Liverpool because what like a fantastic performance, and I'm seeing a lot of people now talking about Sadio Mane as um, well, like you know the main man for Liverpool, which I think like maybe in the recent past it was one of those things that was speculative was easy to push back upon. But right now, as it stands, um, he is the most important player that Liverpool have. He's definitely up there. I, in terms of importance in Liverpool's team, it, they they all just play such a vital role in that system. But he is 
he it was so impressive about Mane is that when he joined, he, he wasn't an obvious world beater, and there was a few eyebrows raised at the transfer. But since then, like he was the first one, as Jamie Carragher pointed out on Sky Sports after the game when he said that Mane could push John Barnes for a place in the all-time Liverpool eleven. He was the first big name to join under Klopp, and he wasn't even that big a name at the time. He started on the right, and then he moved to the left, and he's just been there ever since. And he's steadily improved, and he's got more creative. His his goal tally is always right up there, around twenty goals, um, if not more. And he's just got so many strings to his bow. Like the header that he scored against Chelsea was unreal, and he can shoot with both feet, and he's just he's just amazing. And there was a there was a fan on I think it was Red Men TV, I think it was in the sixteen seventeen season, who I won't do the accent said every player was boss, and the one that I'm mentioning now Sadio Mane, I said it last time I was on it he's the best football player in the world, <laughs> I don't know why people why he's laughing for what Chris why are you laughing for why are you laughing for I'm being serious I'm being serious what why are you laughing for <laughs> I'm being serious you've done the accent. Yeah. Or, or was that not? Or was that just not? <laughs> <laughs> you, you you could tell he's going getting irate because he he was he was doing that scouse thing of getting higher and higher in pitch. Yeah, yeah. but they they were laughing, and why were they laughing? He was. Why was serious. Chris? I feel so. I feel bad for Chris at the moment. What a dick! Singled out, wasn't he? Yeah, but the thing is, like Mane is now one of the best attackers in world football, and that and that was uh, three years ago. That clip, so that. Guy's an absolute visionary. Um, and yeah, big up Sadio Mane. Oh, uh, the best thing about that, actually, is that like last week against Leeds, Salah kind of w- was the star um, in Liverpool's attack. And this week it was Mane. And they just kind of, if one of them maybe isn't quite firing as well as they could be, the other one will score. And that's why Liverpool are so good. I think, I think that again, and without going back to Chelsea, it does demonstrate, what Rune was saying there, does demonstrate the difference between uh, a kind of thoughtful acquisition of players and that sense you always get from Liverpool under Klopp that he knows exactly what he wants each player to do and he's going to be patient in allowing them to do that um, whereas you you know Havertz being a good example so far of, of probably the opposite and if you go back say and it, it like predates like Mane, but when Firmino arrived at Liverpool, when Brendan Rodgers was manager, he looked like, what have they bought this player for? You know, Liverpool were playing him as a kind of, uh, this sort of a target man. And um, he didn't look like the player he would become, and he only became that player when Klopp arrived and clearly knew how to get the best out of him, what he wanted him to do. And that's been the same for everybody. So, as, so there is that sense of, you know, one week it's Salah, one week it's Mane, one week it's Firmino, because they are so important, but they are um, so connected. And that is the thing that uh, distinguishes Liverpool, and uh, or Liverpool especially at the moment, Manchester City too, but that's what distinguishes them from the teams that are spending or hope to spend, but haven't really clicked. Uh, okay, fair enough. Um, uh, we are going to talk now about um, Manchester United Crystal Palace, which happened on Saturday. Before that, just let me draw your attention to um, a big weekend fixture coming up. Uh, I know Ruben knows this, but just for uh, Nas and Dion's uh, benefit as well. It's uh, Everton Crystal Crystal Palace Everton this weekend, which is early in the season for a title decider. I think we can all agree, but still, it's good to dis- it's good to see just which of those titans of English football is going to be uh, leading the way. 
Um, Ruben, this is these are giddy, heady times for Crystal Palace fans. Join top of the league after a fantastic performance. I know Dion will blench at that top of the league lark when there's only two games on the on the list. That's fair enough. But uh, a serious performance from Crystal Palace and um, Wilfried Zaha, whose name was spoken about in, in other um, circles uh, very much so at the weekend. We probably can't go there. But uh, he did he did his talking on the field, Ruben. <laughs> he did, didn't he? Um, wh- one thing that I've always wanted to happen since we got promoted in 2013 is or since Wilf came back is for him to score against United and he never does and then he did mm. yesterday oh Saturday sorry twice I mean the the penalty was an absolute farce but um we still deserve to win and his second goal was was a great example actually of how much he's improved as a player um because those shots he he he's never that's never really been his strength getting those shots away and getting them on target keeping them low like he would he would often have like skied that into the stands or dragged it wide and I thought he was he was magnificent and Palace were just good in general really weren't we we just we exploited United's weaknesses well um we had a lot of energy in midfield the defense were resolute especially Mitchell who's playing like his sixth Premier League game in ever I think um and yeah it's just oh it's great to see but I'm trying I'm trying not to get too ahead of myself after my Europa League shout when we beat Bournemouth last season because uh, after that we went on a seven game run with no win so but, but what was most impressive about palace at, on saturday ruben like because i felt that one of the things that's been said about ole gunnar Solskjaer and united is that when uh they struggle against the the you know the weaker team sometimes because they sit deep and they have to kind of uh break them down um but palace seemed to kind of go like as much as the roy hodgson team will they seem to be you know they were quite uh they were on the front foot really from the from the beginning and pushing United back. So it was a it was a kind of proactive performance, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which is quite rare because we will often just park the bus against these teams and and if we don't score on the counter then well, you know, unlucky we have to be careful. But yeah, we I think that comes from like the players that we had on the pitch as well, because we we just had a very energetic midfield and a front two that could that could press and I think maybe we knew that United were going to be tired, um, or lacking sharpness uh, maybe so they probably took advantage of that. But there is definitely a tactical problem at United where, like yes, they need new players and yes, they're not quite fit enough at the moment due to the chaotic schedule. But they should that team that United put out should be beating the team that finished fourteenth last season and they do struggle against teams that defend resolutely against them because United are better on the counter-attack and you can't, you can't achieve much in the Premier League if, if that's your, if your plan A is to counter, do you know what I mean? Like, like you, you can, but you have to be, you have to be able to win these games where you're expected to have most of the ball. Um, and I think that is probably United and Solskjaer's biggest flaw at the moment. It's one of those games, Naz, whereby you think, well, this is a game that's going to seriously um, dent Ole Gunnar reputation and probably precipitate pressure being piled upon him on the team and eventually that he would have to you know, leave the club for one reason or another. But in the past, what's happened after these kind of performances is United go on an incredible run, win lots of games, and then everybody forgets again that that United under Solskjaer are capable of performances like this. Where does it where does it leave Solskjaer uh, now? Like, what's his position at Old Trafford? I mean, amongst fans and 
even amongst the board? Well, it's, I mean, it's almost, I mean, it's it's obviously bigger than Solskjaer, uh, but it, it, it just, it just points to this pattern at United where, where, where a manager is chosen by, by the board, it's chosen by Ed Woodward. Um, and there's questions about whether, whether they should be in the position in the first place, but then that person's given no support, that person's given no backing. So, so what's the point? What's what, what's the point in like you go back to David Moyes? Like David Moyes was not the right man for United, but he was not helped as soon as he became the manager. He was not helped in his position. He was not supported. He was not given the plays he wanted, and um, and ever since then, uh, this this kind of been this cycle of of a manager comes in, uh, kind of does enough to maybe get into Champions League. At that point, United don't spend any money to compete in the Champions League. They they get they get knocked out. They don't qualify the next season, and 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 again, there's this circle of like, okay, well, a little bit needs a little bit more needs to be, needs to be spent now to secure Champions League football. And it's this bobbing bobbing at that level of um of getting into Champions League. So 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 the the Glazers get their dividends and their money. And 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 no further because they don't need to so because there's no incentives so that's fine. Um, again, like like in terms of in terms of the start of the season, obviously United looked rusty and uh, and and uh, Palace looked far more sort of uh, energetic and uh, and more and played like more of a team. But it's a, it's the same problems that ended last season, and and it's after after this period of of United looking really good. And really dynamic in, in that in that run that they went through, um, partly because of tiredness, but also partly because they were worked out. Teams let them have the ball wide. They they flooded the central areas, um, and United were basically basically most teams that play United now know that United don't have a strength don't have strength out wide. Uh, they don't have the the wing backs that a lot of teams do. So um, and they don't have, they don't always have that key to unlocking a, a compact central defense. Um, and when I say central defense, I mean the whole team defending in, in a central area. And it's, and it's, I think it's something that that became very apparent when United played Southampton last season. Basically, everyone else has has copied that blueprint going forward. And it's and it's what Palace did. Palace, Palace, and everyone going forward knows that if you if you essentially stop. United's most talented players that are all central, um, and 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 make it very difficult to get to get through uh, to get through you. Um, you've got a very good chance of, of 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 stopping them and and beating them on the on the counter attack. So nothing's changed, and and obviously United United haven't spent the money that they need to in the in the summer, um, and it's it's just not a good situation at the moment. It's a uh, it's amazing how. The start of a season that's meant to be really exciting, meant to be sort of full of optimism. It, it kind of, it kind of felt as if there was all the optimism was uh, was missing from the start, even before the game. It just, it just like it's not enough. Like uh, getting getting Van der Beek in is not enough. I don't even think I don't think they will sign um, Sancho. But even getting Sancho in will not be enough. This is it, it's, it's it's just a it's just a it's a flaw team that's got good players. And unless those flaws are addressed, um, you're not going to see an improvement. And and, and this this whole like a whole idea of like where United can go this season 
and and how they can they can progress. They can't progress. The best United can hope for at the moment is a top four finish. Like finishing fourth, I think for this team would be a success, and that would be worse than last season. Apparently, though, um, you talk about the areas they need to strengthen in. Presumably, you're looking at centre half after another weak performance there at the weekend. I saw read somewhere that that it's not a priority for Ed Woodward because of the players that are currently on the books at United by Jones, Rojo, Lindelof, Smalling, Maguire. All there uh, in that position, big wages, big price. But, but again, it looks like they will have to do something there. But but again, that what United are at the moment is a middling sort of team who are happy to be where they are in 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 terms of just below the top level, and and where's the incentive? Where's the incentive to improve? Um, It's in terms of Ed Woodward, he just seems to be more, far more interested in excuses and reasons why they can't do things rather than looking at the ways in which they can. So, you, so you've got teams, you've got a lot of the criticism, uh, criticism um, that you, that United push away is that they've not not spent money, and 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 the, and the club's argument is coronavirus and 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 it's a difficult time financially. Now, what other teams are doing? First of all, other teams that are at United level or United situation in terms of not having um, wealthy benefactors are spending money, so that immediately negates the argument. But then also, um, if you, if you if money is a situation is an issue, be smart. Liverpool have been smart. Liverpool Liverpool have got Thiago in. Liverpool have got a Jotter in, and 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 they've managed to negotiate these deals so it's not all. Um, up front, they they've been creative in 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 the, in the way it's structured, and and then, but it's it's something United seem incapable of doing, and and this this idea that, say, Upper Meccano, uh being an obvious, um, he's obvious he's going to be a world class uh, defender, but United having this opinion of him that um, oh they won't go for him this season, they'll they'll monitor the situation and and make, probably make a move next next summer, next summer they they probably won't be in the Champions League. And that'll be another convenient convenient excuse for uh, for Ed Woodard as as to why they can't get certain players. So it's it's just this with United you can't get around this uh, feeling that it's just it's it's a it's a club with with utter incompetence at, at most levels and and just this circular sort of pattern that happens again and again. I think it comes back to the thing we've talked about before with United and Solskjaer, where. Uh, there's just hope. Like there's no, there is nothing you can point to really that says he is the manager uh, to get the best out of United. Even when there's a good run, it's always uh, countered by. You can point to defeats. You can point to selections. You can point to things he's done that undermine it. But there is just this hope. Let's hope it works out okay for him. And that feeds into every other aspect of the club then as well. So let's hope this signing works out. Let's hope. Uh, I don't know why Van der Beek didn't start yesterday or on Saturday. I don't know, like, uh, like Daniel James started on like that sense of uh, lack of expectation that Nas talks about. Like it, that you know, presumably there are reasons for that that go back to fitness and that kind of thing. But at the same time, it it it's it sort of underlines, um, you know, that's it. Just it just emphasizes, you know, that United haven't 
sort of evolved and haven't kicked on. But again, it just all comes down to this idea that maybe uh, Solskjaer can do it. And obviously there's a risk, whoever the manager is. And it, 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 um, you know, there, are, there are no guarantees in terms of that. But you, at the same time, Manchester United should have a manager whose track record is something you can fall back on. And you go, there's Pochettino. Look what he's done. Uh, if, you're, if, you're in, if you have some doubts, you go, well, look what he did with Tottenham. Um, look how he changed things wherever he's been. Whereas with Solskjaer, you don't have that. You don't have that track record. Um, and it's not then that you're saying, look at the way he's approached everything in terms of what he's done since he's taken over the club. So that counter, so that's the counterbalance. There, there isn't enough of that either. But there is just this sense, as Noah said, that you know uh, maybe one way or another will work out and United won't have to uh, spend too much or they won't have to do this. And it again feeds into and reveals the other failing that they're, you know, they don't really, you you don't get a sense um, that there is a, a a really well thought out strategy for how the players are going to come in, where they're going to find the players, um, and all these things mean that it's just it, it it just seems inevitable that whatever happens with United, there'll be a bit of. Uh, there'll be these moments where everything looks bleak and then as you say Paddy they'll go on a run but then again and then it'll be undermined again and they'll just stay at that position um, which isn't where Manchester United should be No and um, interesting to see Solskjaer after the game as well uh, Dion I don't know if you saw his post-match interview he seemed he seemed quite quite down I thought afterwards I mean he, he he spoke about the penalty in such a strange way like where other managers would have well Frank Lampard definitely would have said it was never a penalty in the first place and that's what he said and then you don't talk about anything else because if it's never a penalty in the first place you don't even need to discuss the VAR decision um, where uh, De Gea comes off his line but Solskjaer because of his that sort of just an, I think it is a, a sort of a, a decency that's there. He he says first of all, it's not a penalty, and and that's definitely up for argument. And I think it's fair to say, you know, there's a good argument to say it shouldn't be a penalty. And then he says, but uh, yeah, De Gea did come off his line, and uh, it was probably right to retake it. Why even give that? Why would you even give that? I mean, you think you don't think it's a penalty? There isn't even a conversation to be had about the VAR decision because that's moot if there's no penalty. But I suppose it just speaks to the kind of um, where his head's at. He he never seems to bristle at times maybe when he should bristle. That's kind of what I'm saying, Dion. Yeah, I don't know about that now because I think you can't, like I've said, Lampard is turning into a kind of Mark Hughes figure. So I think whether he brings it up or is asked about it, it's fair enough if he says that's what's going to happen. Uh, I, so I don't, um, I, I, I know what you're saying, uh, but, you know, you can't at the same time he can't be something he's not. Like we know how Alex Ferguson would have dealt with with that situation, but Solskjaer isn't Alex Ferguson, and he shouldn't try and be something he isn't, which would actually just make things worse. But uh, I don't think that was like uh, the the worst thing. And I, I I had kind of sympathy with him in that situation because it was the whole situation just seemed to um, be pretty undermining for United. Like you know, uh, but. It's um, it's just one of like I I don't think I ultimately don't think that is that was a problem in terms of what he's saying as much as the whole Solskjaer 
idea is very much just based on let's hope it works out for decent uh, club legend Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. That's a, that's the thing. Like like it's in, in a sense nothing's changed since the Glazers took over. Like like even like the Fergie leaving is seen as a as a line in the sand between United being good and United being bad. But it's not the line in the sand is that Glazers coming in and and essentially nothing's changed because it was always a case of if United are going to be good, it's going to be in spite of the owners. It's going to be in spite of the way the club is run. And under Ferguson, because Ferguson was a genius, he managed to keep the success coming, managed to keep um, winning the league and and, uh, and and winning trophies in spite of the club. And as soon as he left, any success that was going to happen was going to be in spite of the way the club is run and in spite of the way the, clubs, uh, the, uh, the Glazers are, are taking so much money out of the club. So... That's that's going to continue. Like the only way United are ever going to get any success is going to be in spite of the way the club's run. There's nothing smart about the club. There's there's nothing sensible about the club. It's just a big bloated mess. Okay, um, we have a couple of minutes left, lads. So let's just quickly look at what else is on the agenda this weekend. Uh, Ruben. Um, Five star Tottenham Hotspur, five star everything. Let's talk about Spurs first of all, because uh, quite an eye catcher when you see two players deliver so much for the team. Uh, four goals for Son, four assists for Kane, and like it was quite a turnaround, wasn't it? Because Spurs were pretty bad until they just turned into one of the greatest teams the Premier League has ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to be that guy, but it's even better when you've got them both in your fantasy football team. Um, Fuck's sake. Yeah, just thought I'd drop that in. Um, yeah, the Spurs were horrible in the in the first half, like really bad. They looked so disjointed. It was classic Mourinho. And then I don't know what he said at half time. Probably you know ababa and fucking hell and intensity and yada yada yada. And then boom, fucking five two was it in, at the end? Great. I mean, it, what what they seemed to do differently in the second half was I know when Domblade came off, I thought he was actually very good in the first half. But Kane started dropping into those pockets of space where he collect the ball and then play passes in behind a very high very sluggish Southampton defense I think they really they spotted a weakness and they exploited it basically which is what good teams do because Southampton played far too high they pushed both fullbacks up at the same time their center backs aren't quick enough and without Hoiberg who's ironically enough gone to Tottenham they look soft in midfield so um yeah, Kane is really, really good at that. I think it's quite an underrated quality of his, those those passes in behind. Um, he probably shows it a bit more for England than he does for Spurs. Um, and Gareth Bale should uh, take advantage of that as well. Um, so, yeah, not a good day for the anti-Mourinho agenda, but um, a very good second-half performance from Tottenham. Uh, yeah, and Gareth Bale, who has signed but won't play for a month. Isn't that right? There's, he's going to be... He's, he's in well, he's only months. played like 45 minutes of football since... He won't play lockdown, football for a month. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think he he started like two games for Real Madrid in like January and February, and then didn't play. Obviously, the when when the league returned, has played forty five minutes for Wales, and that's about it. So he just needs to get his sharpness up, I think. But um, he'll be good. But I think Regulon is not not the bigger signing, but like because of Bale, I don't think that signing is getting enough attention. Like he'll be really good because Ben Davis is a lot more. Small C conservative as a footballer, um, in the in the, like with regard to how much he goes forward and how creative he is, and having somebody to overlap Son on that left wing in Regulon will be a big boost for Tottenham. 
Um, okay, look, guys, we're out of time because uh, we could have talked a little bit about Deli Ali as well. We'll get to him another day. And, you know, it, would, the predictable thing would be to talk about the team that are top of the Premier League. But I just, I think we should just avoid that today. Um, it's, getting, it's getting boring, Dion. Like, what would we talk about? Like, Everton being amazing again? Like, <laughs> Yeah, mate, this is extraordinary. This is not, Paddy has not done, as it needs to be put on the regular, Paddy has not done this willingly. You know. <laughs> We know it's been all like we're talking about Everton lads, yeah. First top of the show, Everton, uh, and uh, here he is at the end of the show. Yeah, we don't need to talk about Everton. I, I love the way he says he's got to get off soon, but what he's really doing is just making a collage out of pasta or something of, of, of Hamas Rodriguez's face. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, it's, it's, times are good. Times are good. I mean. It's all right. Everything's everything's okay at the moment uh, in the Premier League, and uh, let's let's just leave it there. Look, thank you very much to um, Bearded Genius, Nordin Chowdhury, to Ruben Pinder and Dion Fanning. We'll be back later Everything in the week. Genius, I am. What's that? What's that, Ruben? Well, if you're going to give Noz his Twitter handle, then <laughs> you know, Shaven Genius. Beard, beard, beard. Ruben, Ruben's Ruben's getting a bit too big for his boots because considering he had, he had a banger over the weekend. Is this what it's like, Noz, when you when you do a viral tweet? <laughs> it is. <laughs> Did you get lots of people calling you a nonce? Because that's what I get. No, I didn't. Uh, there's just a lot of just a lot of anti scouse rhetoric right. in the reply, saying what language is he speaking? I've muted quite a few people. <laughs> <laughs> a good cleanse. A good cleanse. That's that's all it's all about. Sorry, Paddy. Do the outro again. <laughs> No, no, that's all good. This is it, lads. This is it. Uh, and thanks to you guys for listening as well. And uh, we will be back again later in the week. If you haven't already done so, click subscribe to never miss a show. Good luck. I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation of Morocco. bro. It's people's lives are at risk. Oli Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take that as a yes then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus, why me? I wear a base cap and uh, have a bad shave.